Blog Talk Radio. Survivors of abuse, we share that we've been through different forms of trauma. 
And I'm going to tell you something. Trauma does not have a single phase. Trauma is multifaceted, right? Um, you know, we may have someone who's been through sexual trauma. We may have someone who's been through emotional trauma. We may have someone who's been through physical trauma. And, you know, emotional, mental life, you know, things are, can be very traumatic. Anything can be very traumatic. You can experience childbirth and go through severe trauma. Okay, you can experience, have an experience, and I've shared this in the past, you can have an experience where, uh, you know, you've been bitten by a dog, uh, and that's a form of trauma. And so there's definitely many, many, many different forms of trauma. And so we try our best to be sensitive to uh, everyone's trauma because you might hear somebody share a trauma and you might be like, that is not trauma. And they're like, how dare you say that's not trauma when, I mean, only because it wasn't traumatic to you doesn't mean it wasn't traumatic to them. So I've shared in the past that, you know, I was bitten by a Doberman. I was bitten by a Doberman when I was six years old. Uh, I died and came back. This, this attack happened in my country. It happened in Costa Rica. My mom was a maid, and we... Uh, you know, we, we lived in a mate's house, which is a little house, and then the owner had the big house next to us, and uh, it was the dad graduated from kindergarten. And I decided, you know, um, well, I, I didn't decide. I was six years old, but it was my graduation day, and I had a, a custom-made dress that my mom had made for me. And I loved my dress so much, I, I could have stayed in the dress all day. That's how much I loved my dress. But my mom said, I need you to go across the yard, and I need you to go in our house and go change your dress and come back with some, like, house clothes. I was like, oh, okay. Because, again, I wanted to spin around in my beautiful, you know, little girl dress. And my mom said, go across the yard to our little house, right, go across and go change. I said, okay. So I go across the yard. Uh, At this time, uh, the guy that my mom worked for, he was a millionaire. So he had many houses, many farms. He owned uh, coffee land. He owned orange fields. I mean, it was a lot. It was apple fields. He was a billionaire. He was a millionaire. We used to fly in jets. I used to have a chauffeur that would take me to school. Um, And so at that time, you know, my mom was the maid. Uh, But we lived a good life because we were up. My mom worked for him. Uh, She was like the maid, the main person running like the household stuff so anyways um i'm saying that to say he had like he had like probably 20 something dogs because he had a lot of land and he needed to protect his land so he used to get these dogs who were specially trained from out of the country follow me with this i'm going somewhere with it y'all uh and so these dogs uh so we had a lot of german shepherds those were the dogs that grew up around uh, they were very highly trained, very smart dogs. Uh, and so my favorite dog, her name was Asta. She was my best friend. Uh, and she was the dog that I grew up with because I didn't have any, like, uh, siblings around me at that time or family. It was just me and my mom. My, me and my mom. My mom was our maid, and she had just she had got kicked out of a house. And um, we got kicked out in the rain. It was a big drama. My mom, uh, we were homeless for a little bit. We ended up staying with my mom's sister. And after that, we ended up, um, you know, my mom got a job with this guy. So, uh, again, 
going back to the graduation. My mom said, go change the dress. There were two dogs in the yard. One was my best friend, Asta, which is the German Shepherd. And the second dog was a brand new dog. He was a teenager. His name was uh, Morris. And uh, and mind you, I'm six years old. I remember all these names, right? Uh, And so the dog's in the yard. And both of the dogs are in the yard, and he was new, but I didn't trust his dog. You know, sometimes you look at a dog's eyes, and the dog's are scary, like, oh, I don't trust you. Like, every time I looked at this dog's eyes, his eyes used to scare me. Well, he was a teenager, so he was real jumpy and real, like, just all over the place. So my mom sent me again to go change my dress, so I needed to paint the pictures. These guys were familiarized with these two dogs, my favorite dog, the German Shepherd, and then the other dog, Morris, the new, the newer teenager dog. So I go across the yard. I change my dress, and when I come back out there, out part of our house, a smaller house, and I go across the yard because there's a big pole in the middle between the houses. That's where the two dogs are. I go across the yards, and I get to my house. And, you know, I change my dress. I come back out, and I see him on top of my best friend. Now I'm a little kid. I don't know what's going on. All I know is. He's, like, attacking my best friend. Something's not right. So I go behind him, and I slap him in the butt. Now, I had no business slapping that dog in the butt because I didn't know that he was, you know, trying to mate with her. I didn't know he was in. I didn't know that. I was six years old, right? But that dog turned around, and I didn't touch the ground after that point. He had me like a rag doll, pretty much, back and forth, back and forth. And he wouldn't let me go. And um, I don't remember calling my mom. At all. I don't remember calling her name. I don't remember anything. Um, I just remember falling asleep and looking up at the sun. And my mom said that she kept hearing me calling her name, but I'm like, my, that must have been an angel because I'm telling you, I did not call your name. I wasn't thinking about calling your name. I was sitting there just like, oh, my God. But I remember looking down and seeing Asta, which was my best friend, she was biting his leg trying to get him off of me. Like while I'm in between waking up and, and going to sleep, I noticed that. So my mom, you know, finally she, she says that she felt like, like God illuminated like a rock or the mop or something, and she ended up hitting him and getting him off of me to the point that she said that she said I was calling her and calling her and calling her, and she was ignoring me because till this day I call my mother for stupidness. I'd be like, ma, and then when she come in, it'd be something dumb. So, you know, at that time when I was calling her and calling her, same thing happened. She just it was like, what does she want? She's so, you know, saying that, hey, guys, if your kids are calling and calling and calling, you sometimes make sure you peek in because you don't know what could be going on. So, anyways, my mom finally got me out of that situation, and uh, she picked me up and put me in front of the door, uh, and then she put some towels down the couch, and she laid me on the couch. I woke back up when she picked me up. So then, um, you know, I remember laying on the couch thinking, I want to watch this show this little kid's show that I used to um, like to watch. I'm going to fast forward this um, for the sake of time. Um, But I really just wanted to share, you know, the topic of trauma. And uh, there's so many different forms of trauma. Some could be sexual abuse. Some could be emotional abuse. Some could be, you know, you see some people that get hypnotized. They end up hypnotizing people because they're scared of animals. They have a trauma to, to squirrels or to a, to a roach, a mite, you know, and, and, you know, you've seen it probably on some of those talk shows back in the day. People would be screaming like, you're like, what happened? Me personally, I still like dogs. I don't have a fear of dogs. I don't like uh, some of the more 
aggressive dogs because I do understand that they're animals and if something goes out of hand, you can die. So um, my story, my mom, again, she, she came and got me. She had to, again, from the middle of that, um, you know, the, the, the yard, took me to the cats, had to walk past the dogs to go use the phone because we didn't have a phone in our house. Had to walk past the dogs again to come get me. Had to walk past the dogs with me again to the bottom of the hill because we live at the top of the hill uh, with the big gates. So then she had to wait for the ambulance down there. Now, that was traumatic for me. I'm sure that was traumatic for my mom. Um, and so, you know, I share that story. I ended up, I died and came back. I ended up, um, they put me on the newspaper in my country. It was like a big deal, this attack. But to this day, people, I, I've had dogs. I've had a few dogs since then. Uh, and at some point later on in life, I would like to have a German Shepherd. Um, but, you know, we're talking about trauma. And I just wanted to make sure that um, that we, you know, were able to kind of see different forms of trauma. Now, I'm going to open up the mic, okay? If I hear a lot of noise in the background, I'll mute your mic. So if you know that you got noise in your background, mute your own mic. So I don't have to mute you so that if you do want to speak, um, you can just unmute yourself at any point. So if anybody would like to um, make a comment or say hello, you're welcome to do that. Uh, and you don't have to if you're not ready to, because I can keep on talking about different other stuff. But would love to hear from you if you are ready to speak. Um, I've been through some trauma with a dog bite before. A dog dragged me through a bush. What? Okay, tell up. So you had you dealt with a dog situation too? Yes. Do you remember how old you were? Probably around ten, ten years old. Do you mind telling us like how you ended up getting dragged by the dog? Well, we had a husky, we had a husky dog, and uh, I was standing out with him out in the front yard, and somebody walked by the house on the sidewalk, and my dog chased after him, and I was holding onto the leash, and so he dragged me through the bush, and it scraped me up pretty badly. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Did you um did, did you have a dog after this is your dog? What? Was this your personal dog? Was it like somebody else's dog? Um, well, I guess you could say he was mostly mine. He's my whole family's dog. <laughs> wow. Now, how did that affect you? Did were you able to be around dogs after that, or was it just that particular dog you couldn't be around, or how did that affect you? Um, it wasn't good. Sometimes I think about it, and it, like, makes me cringe, you know? Makes me not feel good. Now, if you see dogs now, how do you feel? Like, does that affect you? Do you get scared, nervous, or you're better now? Where are you at with that? I get scared of them, but I still pet them. You don't trust them? 
I still pet them. Oh, you still pet them? Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad that you're working, you know, working through your own personal trauma with them. I don't know if anybody else on here has had, um, like, a traumatic experience with an animal or with a person, (laughs) you know. I know um, many of us, and I know, uh, Philip, you've also shared, you know, some of your, some of your journey of recovery, but, um, you know, trauma does have a big effect on people, and it could really have not just an effect on us personally, but it could also have an effect on uh, on relationships, and sometimes people deal with depression, like, you know, I didn't, I don't remember going through depression because of that, because I went through I shared that I went through my sexual abuse when I was five years old. Then I went through, I got bit by a dog. So I have an eight-inch scar on my neck, and I got a bite on my on my right side of my face. So I started to deal with, at six, identity, you know, my self-esteem. I lost my voice for a few weeks. I couldn't speak. Um, my mom had to go back to work, so I had a little bell. Um, and so, you know, for me, that was like, you know, a time where, it's interesting because my grandmother uh, from a paternal side had, you know, she took care of me. So she would speak to me about God. So I couldn't speak. I had to listen. And those stories comforted me because I was in such a broken place from five to six years old. I think that was probably the most broken I've ever been in my, my whole life. And I've been through a lot of different forms of brokenness, but um, you know, that, that definitely did have an effect on me. And it led me to to deal with depression later on as a teenager uh, because I didn't address some of those those traumas. I didn't address some of those feelings. Um, And I didn't know how to. You know, back in the days, we didn't know how to talk about trauma. And we didn't know it was like, it's okay. You know, to talk about trauma, it's okay to, you know, to share if you've been through something or if you have pains that's unresolved, like, it's a safe, there are safe spaces. I can't say all spaces are safe, but there are safe places, places, um, spaces and places, and there are safe people who can relate and understand and help guide you through your trauma. I know um, I do, I'm a counselor, but I'm also a coach, and I do a lot of recovery coaching in the area of sexual trauma, domestic violence, like, you know, um, in that arena. And then I do counseling in other areas, marital counseling and uh, divorce and different things like that. So for me, um, you know, the reason why I'm passionate about those things is because of some of the trauma that I went through and knowing that at the time I didn't have people who looked like me that could help me. Some of the counselors didn't physically look like me. Uh, They might have been men. They might have been uh, white, it might have been uh, whatever, you know, just I needed somebody like me. So that's why it's important for us as survivors to step up in the areas that we can be the voice for that child that we needed when we were growing up, whether it is that you're a male, whether it is that you're Hispanic, whether it is that you're white or black or whatever it is, you step up and you become that hand that helps somebody else who may not know what the next step is. Um, So I wanted to just share a little statistic, if I may. Um, You know, major depressive disorder affects approximately 17.3 million American adults, okay, or about 7.1% of the U.S. population, age 18 and old, in a given year. 
That's a lot. That's a lot. I, I remember growing up, I used to hear people say, um, you know, the number one killer in America is uh, stress. And I, I believe that stress is uh, it's a big killer. But I think that it really has to do with the fact that we may not know what the resources are. We may deal with the stigma, with the shame um, in the area of mental health. And I'm just proud to be a part of uh, a couple of different organizations. You know, NASCA is one of the organizations that I volunteer with. And I really enjoy being, um, being able to be of service. I do it by using my voice, by sharing, or by opening up the platforms where others could come and share. Um, and that's an area that is very therapeutic for me, as well as it helps others. And then also with NAMI, you know, um, that's the National Alliance of Mental Illness. Uh, we do a lot of advocacy for uh, survivors of different forms of abuse or people who dealt with mental illness. Who, you know, is and then also I volunteer with um, the juvenile justice system, the youth, and um, with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And those are things, and I'm a suicide survivor, and, and I share, you know, I had lost my sister in 2020, unfortunately, to suicide. But creating these safe spaces lets people know that, hey, you're not alone. You know, you might have been through something that really affected you. Trauma affects the brain. Trauma affects the growth of your brain. You know, the more that we get educated, you know, the more uh, we understand that depression often, you know, is, is uh, co-occurs with other illnesses and medical conditions. Um, and mental illness uh, is definitely one of them. You might deal with people who are dealing with eating disorders, um, substance use, substance abuse, right? Um, and so, again, before I continue, because um, we have plenty of time, so I don't have to be the only one to to, um, to speak. If you've heard anything that you would like to address or share, please feel free to join. And if you're not ready, you don't have to. Oh, hello. How are you guys? Hey, Paula. Mm-hmm. Hey. How's everybody? Hi. Can you hear me? Yep. We hear you. Oh. Um, so I was listening to the last thing that you said about um, stress, how um, trauma or de- depression and different things uh, how serious stress is, and I was just talking to a coworker this morning, um, and she was talking about her health and how bad things had gotten to the point, you know, it caused her blood pressure to go up. She's a young girl. She's younger than me. Uh, her blood pressure was going up, and she had issues with her heart and things that she didn't normally have issues with and come to find out it was stress-related. And I was telling her that I um, I dealt with, I've dealt with migraines ever since I was 12. Um, I was diagnosed with migraines, which is rare for kids to have headaches. Um, that's not a normal thing. And um, as time went by in my 20s, 
I had gotten so sick. My migraines had gotten so bad, and I would get so sick. I remember going to the hospital, and the doctor just looked at me. They ran tests. They couldn't find anything wrong or anything, and he looked at me, and he was he said, I'm just going to be, you know, upfront with you. He said, I don't know what you have going on in your life. You know, you're young, and you should not be dealing with what you're dealing with. We can't find anything wrong to cause these headaches. And he said, but whatever you're dealing with is stress-related. And if you don't get those things out of your life or take care of them, he was like, I will give you at least six months to live. And when he said that, I'm thinking over stress, mm. you know, I, that's something that you would hear over an actual issue, you know, heart or, I don't know, something that you normally would think would cause death. But he was like, my the situation that I was in, and I was stressed out, and it was just built up stress. And as time went by and I did little therapy, I didn't do a lot of therapy, I um kind of did things on my own, but even when I was 12, it, I rem, when I start looking at things, when I was 12, I was in the sixth grade, and I don't know how much time I have, and I don't want to talk too much. You got time. You got time. Okay. <laughs> okay, so when I was 12, you got time. <laughs> I, I look back and put pieces of things together. I remember 12, I had gotten really depressed, even younger than that. I was just a sad kid. I was a sad child, you know, um, but in the in the sixth grade, when, you know, when you first start school, the first day of school, they have this thing, you know, tell us about yourself. They have you write a little bit about yourself so you can, the teacher can read and kind of get to know you. Um, that was the first time I've ha- ever had to do that. And I remember when she was talking about it, I started getting real. At the time, I didn't know it was anxiety, but it's like I just got so scared, so nervous just because she was saying, I'm going to pass out this paper, and I want you to tell me about yourself. And I was just in my seat about to cry, and it was all because I'm thinking I knew I was adopted. So the fact that I was adopted was an issue for me, but I never said anything because I just thought adoption meant that you wasn't wanted. I was never told that, Mm -hmm. but as a little girl, I just would listen, and I don't know where I would get things from, but I would always formulate things in my head and not say anything. So when she was passing out the paper, I'm thinking, tell tell you about me, and I'm like, there's nothing. Like, my mind just went completely blank, and I'm like, there's nothing to tell. Cause I don't, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know, I didn't. I, what I should have done was talked about my mom and my family and my friends. And but I literally felt like I didn't have anybody to talk about. I didn't know what to say. So on my paper, I wrote the the date, my name, and at the bottom I put the end, and I left the whole sheet blank. I had nothing in the middle, and I turned it in. So when I got older and was putting things together, I had anxiety. Then I had stress then. I was depressed then. You understand what I'm saying? And I, it causes sickness. My migraine started then. At the same time, all that happened. So nobody knew back then that wasn't something that you dealt with. You know, it was almost like that's just a sad kid or everybody coddled you and it was an unspoken thing. So 
so I kind of went through years like that. You know, I kept everything in. I just tried to deal with it myself, but I was making my, I was getting sicker throughout the years because then it turned into panic attacks. It turned into anxiety uh, attacks. I would go to the hospital with my blood pressure fluctuating. One minute it's up, the next minute it's down. They run and test. They can't find anything wrong with me. And it always went back to stress. You know, the doctor saying, we can't, there's nothing wrong with you. But it was the stress, it was the anxiety, it was depression that wasn't dealt with. And we, I didn't know how to deal with it. I just knew that I had to try to make it, you know. And my mom wasn't, and it wasn't her fault. It's just she was an older parent. And, again, that wasn't a thing to deal with. It was just like, oh, you know, that's poor such and such, or let's just love on her even more. They didn't know counseling wasn't a thing. You know, having groups, it, that back then it wasn't a thing. So I was just saying all that to say that stress is really, it can really take a toll on you, you know, and that's really physical toll on you. Wow. Wow, thank you for sharing that. Um, and when we talk, and this is off topic, Miss um, Paula, but when we talk about uh, coaching and niches, I do want to, uh, you know, having a niche, I think that area of dealing, um, supporting, uh, you know, people who've been through adoption, I think that's a really special niche. Uh, mm-hmm. and that's something you definitely anointed to work with, but we'll talk about that another time. But that was amazing, um, especially, like you said, you left the paper blank. There were so many questions that you didn't know the answer to. Mm-hmm. Um, but how were you around that time? Around what time that I was adopted? Well, when you wrote that paper. I'm sorry, say that again? When you wrote that paper, when you said you wrote Oh, you it, was, you know, it was in the sixth writing. grade. Yeah, I was at 12 years old. It was in the sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll never forget that. Like, I'm thinking about it now, and I remember the actual feeling and just breathing mm-hmm. hard and just, but I was the kind of person, and I'm still that kind of person that I don't like to be seen. I don't like to bring attention to myself. So it was like I was sitting mm-hmm. in that seat just about to lose it. And, mm-hmm. but I kept myself together because I'm looking at, I'm like, if I move the wrong way, if I drop a tear, if I breathe, you know, the wrong way, people mm-hmm. going to look at me, and that would make me feel even worse because now I have attention on me and I never liked attention. So that was in the sixth grade when that, that actual started. But as a little girl before that, I just knew that I wasn't happy. I would look at everybody and try to figure out how did I look like, you know, why don't I look like this person? Why don't I talk? Why don't I walk? I picked out every little thing that my family did around me and I'm like, who? It's like I was looking for some type of connection because I would see my friends. They looked like their parents, their siblings. They wrote like them. They talked like them. And I'm thinking, where, what do I have? And I searched for that in people. Thank you for for sharing that. That made a Mm -hmm. lot of sense, too. Like you said, your chest used to get tight. I, I feel mm-hmm. like that. Like I believe it or not, I still get anxiety. I don't like to be the center of attention. I don't like to be 
called on. I'm like, why well, I gotta mm-hmm. speak next? My heart's going crazy. And people are like, you're not shy. Cut it. I'm like, I'm so shy. You wouldn't even believe how scared I am. I'm shaking in my boots, but I keep, mm-hmm. you know, going for it. Um, and like, and like I said earlier, even what Philip was sharing, you know, we are the voice for the voiceless. Like what you're sharing right there, Miss um, Paula, that was so powerful because that's what somebody's going through. That's what somebody's feeling, and they feel alone because mm-hmm. they see you today. They're like, oh, please, look at you. You're like wearing that beautiful red dress, looking beautiful. <laughs> yep, I'm talking about your picture, girl. <laughs> look at people don't know how stressful. It's been know. so stressful doing that lately, like really my anxiety and I've been praying because I'm determined this year that I can do that without any medication or without even my daughter we go out together she was my she knew my looks and my moves so she knew how to rub my hand or you know I knew I had her there to kind of help me breathe and nobody knew what was going on so lately when you see me in that yeah it looks <laughs> it looks a certain way, but the feeling on the inside is like, oh my God, I, I'm literally about to just pass out. But again, I don't want to be seen in that. What's wrong with her? Why is she looking like that? Why? So I just, you know, it's and it's it's not faking it, but it is kind of just I'm pushing, finally pushing through. Yeah. You till you get there. You have to say it. Like I normally say, you got to say it till you believe it. I'm mm-hmm. strong. I'm strong. <laughs> you know, I yeah. am strong. I can do it. And inside you're like, oh, God, I just want to go home. I just want to go right. get, get in the bed, get away from everybody. But, yeah. you know, you're you're like, I'm going to get through this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens mm-hmm. me, and I'm going to push my way through. Um, because one of the problems that I was having um Recently, as you know, I was uh, going through some little personal issues with family stuff, and I just kept saying, you know, I can't, <laughs> I can't. This mm-hmm. is the year I am moving away from everybody. I can't. And God's like, stop saying you can't. I said, okay, Lord, I can do all things through Christ. <laughs> and this is a mind trick. I have to fight myself because I really, I cannot take it. But God's like, don't say you can't. And I'm like, why does he keep saying, don't say I can't? And I'm like, all right, because you know why? If I keep allowing the words I can't, words have power, words mm-hmm. have, you know, their bonds, right? And then they'll be, you'll attract more of the I can't. So now if I say I can, even though I know that on well, today, no, I cannot. <laughs> That's the thing. <laughs> I don't know nobody <laughs> But I'm going to say I can until mm-hmm. I can. And so that's what I've been trying to say, like, you know, I, I can. But inside, I'm like, girl, if you don't get away from me, like, mm-hmm. you know, um, family stuff, and like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but then I'm like, no, you know what? I can. I will. And it's, and I just want to cry sometimes because I'm like, I really, I can. Like, I just, you know, and, and you know what? It's interesting because, like, a few days ago, I had a fa- I was doing a family mediation with two of my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, working with, with a family, some conflict stuff going on with the family. And I told them, I said, it's okay to cry. Sometimes you need a good old cry. Crying is so healing for the soul. Yeah. Why do you always have to try to be strong every 
Don't get me wrong. Sometimes you got to stand firm, okay? Because sometimes you just need to lay down and cry like a baby. I remember one time, you know, I say this sometimes, but I threw myself on the floor and I was crying like a baby. Like, when I said I threw myself on the floor, I was like, uh, my I didn't cry on my back. I was on my stomach like, uh, and I was crying like, I just cried. And then all of a sudden I felt Kevon, I felt my son's hand on my back, and he started just praying over me. Because I felt like I was about to die. Mm-hmm. I didn't mm-hmm. feel like I could go any further. I literally felt like I couldn't go no further. I messed up so bad. I made so many mistakes. I just was a failure. And I was like, why is God trying to still use me? And I, I remember I was just, I threw myself in the fire to start crying. Because I'm like, I'm here trying to help people. And I'm really struggling with my own self. And I just threw myself in the fire and started crying like a baby. <laughs> wow. He came over me. He started praying for me. And then um, I remember right after that, I was like, God, use me as a vessel. Well, before that, I, I had said use me as a vessel. So then after that, I was like, wait. Why is all this hell breaking loose? Because my big old mouth opened up and said, use me as a vessel. Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that when you say use me as a vessel, the level of anointing on our lives, the level, the story, even everybody in this room right now, everybody in this room right now, because I know everybody's story in this room. Don't get me started because I'm not putting none of y'all out Everybody in this room right now is anointed and gifted. Everybody in this room is heavily anointed. And that's why your story is heavy. Nobody could carry your cross. I know that. Because mm. I know your stories. Nobody could carry the cross that you're carrying at this level. So, uh, yeah, be careful when you say, Lord, use me as a vessel. Because it comes with a higher calling that some people, they will not be able to walk in your shoes. They wouldn't. So I'm going to stop speaking. And if you haven't had a chance to speak and you'd like to introduce yourself and you're, or you'd like to join the conversation or you just want to make a comment about something that you heard, please do feel free to join us. If you're not ready, you don't have to. That would be great to hear from you. So we'll come back around because we have 50 more minutes. So how does our body to danger? Okay. A lot of times you hear people say, what, that freeze and, and flight, you know. Uh, but why does that happen, right? What, what are some of the effects from, you know, what is it called? So now the freeze, uh, that's a feeling of, feeling like you're paralyzed and you're not really able to move. You just freeze. It's a shock, the initial shock. And then there's another, uh, it's, uh, I'm going to tell you right now, it's one, two, three, four, five different Fs, okay? And they're not bad word Fs. They, they, they're just regular word Fs, so I'm just start there. So freeze, that feeling of being paralyzed or, um, you know, you're not really, you're not able to move. And then there's the flop. Uh, which is, uh, you know, doing what you're told without being able to protect or being able to protect yourself. So you feel like you flop, right? And then there's the fight, okay? 
And that may be that you feel like you're fighting, you're struggling, you're protesting, whatever it is. You're, like, ready to go all off. Like, yo, you don't, okay, we fighting. And then there's the flight, uh, which is the hiding, or you end up running or moving away. There's that flight, you're taking off. You're like, I'm out of here. I got to go. I do that today a lot. Like, I got to go. Like, I, I remove myself. And then there's the fawn, you know, which is trying to please everyone, even the people who harmed you. That's something that a lot of us um, struggle with, where we're still trying to please even those who have harmed us. So, again, you know, the freeze, the flop, the fight, the flight, and then the fawn. Uh, But those are all trauma responses. Uh, so if you experience those feelings, you're not alone, you're not alone, and you're not wrong. It's just part of, um, you know, how bodies respond to trauma, okay? And um, I wanted to just talk a little bit about how trauma makes us feel, okay? So, you know, many of us who've been through trauma, many of us can relate to some of these feelings during trauma or even after trauma, uh, so I'm just going to name out a few feelings that are associated with trauma. Uh, some of those feelings are anger, uh, maybe numbness. You may have some difficulty feeling strong emotions. You know, some people, they don't like to hold hands. They don't like to hug. They don't like to be touched. They don't like they deal with, uh, with some of that. I have. So I'm just going to say we have those, some of that, some of us who have. Um, you know, some people feel like they may have lost their identity or a sense of who they are. It's a common, um, you know, way of dealing with trauma. Um, you know, maybe scared or panicked. So maybe the person who has caused you hurt or trauma may come around that might, you know, trigger you or just like uh, Ms. Paula was sharing earlier, just being asked to share in a social situation. It could be very traumatic. It could be very nerve-wracking, right? So you might feel scared, panic, different different types. Uh, grief, you know, that, um, that's a way that trauma may make us feel. You've lost someone suddenly, you loved one, and you deal with grief. That's, you know, trauma, right? Worried. You know, we talked about anxiety, worried, irritability. You might have an attitude. Some people are like, rude and nasty. You know, I'm dealing with trauma. And it's coming out the wrong way. Because I don't know how to process that trauma. It's what I may seem irritable and like I'm fed up. But I'm just hurt. And that's the way I'm dealing with the trauma, right? Uh, confused, restless. Uh, and or you may feel like you're unsure of what you need or what you want, like changing your mind every minute. Um, Hypervigilance—that's one of the, you know, the ways that trauma makes us feel. Uh, and that's when you're just really alert. You know, you're really aware of your surroundings, and uh, you feel like something bad's going to happen. You may have trust issues. You may feel like, look, I can't trust nobody. Y'all always trying to set me up. People always trying to do something. I don't trust nobody because we've experienced that. I had a client um, recently that went through that, just always set up by the family because the family always, I'm not going to say they set the person up, 
but the family did a lot of interventions. And so for the client, it was like trauma. Like, y'all always coming to, like, set me up. Um, I want to be able to trust individually that I can go to my family and they're there for me, but now they're all in cahoots together, and I feel like I'm being set up all the time. So that's something that people may deal with, right? And And guess what? They may be coming together, obviously, because from a place of love, but the other person or the receiving end may feel like, dang, y'all always talking about me. Y'all always coming, to, like, coming, you know, for me, having to do a circle about me, and it makes them feel like um, like they're always being set up. Uh, you know, you may deal with shock, some horror. And then the last one um, I had on my list was you may deal with shame. Mm-hmm. You know, um, some of the reasons why you may feel shame may be because, you know, you're trying to make sense of what happened and to avoid those feelings um, of anger and betrayal uh, that causes you to feel a lot of shame. You know, you, you're literally, your mind is trying to make sense of what happened and you're really trying to avoid what, what you went through, right? Um and another way is you might be find, trying to find a way to just survive, you know, in a safe, stressful, in an unsafe and stressful situation. Uh, you might be living with someone who, who might harm you. You know, that can also cause shame. And that might be for people that are dealing with domestic violence or um, just, you know, a shameful relationship, right? Uh wishing that you could have done something differently to change the situation. And even though really maybe you couldn't have, but those feelings that bring some form of shame. Um, and then someone else blaming you. If somebody else starts to blame you and they start acting like it's your fault, that brings shame. And or if somebody's trying to make you feel responsible for someone's actions, which I've seen a lot of that, of that with my domestic violence recovery clients, coaching clients, you made me do this. You know, you're like, what? You know, so now it's put on you that it's your fault why they reacted that way, um, even when they had that power over you. So I'm going to take a break. Uh, after that, we'll talk a little bit about the the physical effects of trauma, but um, I want to make sure that uh, that we get a chance to share. So if you are on the line and you have not had a chance to share and maybe something spoke to you, please share and join us. Um, I think I, I have some hypervigilance issues. Yeah. Why do you feel like you have some? Because I'm just always alert and always, like, staring ahead in, like, one place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And, and you related to each other what you've been through? Yes. Okay. Um, let's see. Mm-hmm. All right, did anything else stick out to you? No. No? Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Anyone else? All right, so 
let me go ahead and just put, all right, so I already dealt with uh, self-blame and some of the, okay, well, actually, I haven't really dealt with, uh, all right, so let me talk a little bit about some of the physical effects of trauma, okay? Some of the physical effects of trauma on my list, which is interesting because Ms. Paula just shared uh, that when she dealt with trauma, uh, and I'm going to unmute all the mics, but if you have noise in the background, please feel free to mute your mic until you're ready to speak. And, you know, if something pops up at you and you're ready to share, please feel free to join us because we would love to hear from you. Um, so uh, some of the physical effects of trauma are headaches. You know, as Paula shared that earlier, like she's been dealing with headaches her whole life and she's dealt with some trauma. So headaches are a common form physical effect of trauma. Trauma can also affect our body physically. And, um, again, you may experience headaches, aches, and pains around the body. A lot of um, trauma abuse survivors or sexual abuse survivors, a lot of different forms of survivors, um, will tell me that they deal with, um, I always have a, a hard time saying that word, fibromyalgia, myalgia. But basically, the pain in the body, which is just random and unexplainable. Um, some of my siblings deal with that, uh, just pain. I've dealt with pain um, in random uh, random times uh, where it'll stop. So it could be caused by trauma, you know, shaking. You know, sometimes you'll see somebody just shaking who's shocked. And so shaking is one of the effects. Uh, tiredness, okay, always tired. Um, again, I'm going to mute for one second. Is it you? No? All right. If you know you have some background noise, y'all, just mute yourself. So you're ready to speak. That's all. Uh, and then uh, sweating, sweating, random sweating. I know I've heard a lot of people tell me, I just start sweating. I have to sleep with a fan. I have a few clients I need to call for the new year because everybody's been on a break. And there's some people, I'm like, wait a minute, let's, let's, you know, follow up. Some people are dealing with sweating. Sometimes they're like, my palms sweat a lot. That could be a effect from trauma. It could be just nervousness. It could just be nothing. But guess what? If you've dealt with trauma, that's one of the effects. Just know that. Okay? Uh, there may be some changes often. You know, on in our eating, the way that we eat. So you may overeat. I wish, my, well, I'm not going to say I wish nothing. I'm going to just be quiet and deal with what I'm dealing with. But some people, they can't eat when they're dealing with trauma. Me, I'd be like, girl, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, and I'm hungry. And I wish I didn't, <laughs> you know, deal with it that way. But that comforts me. Uh, but that's, that's a form of trauma, you know. Um, dealing with that overeating or undereating and stuff like that. When you're dealing with trauma, that is an effect. Memory problems. I've dealt with it uh, where at one point I was like, I felt like I got hit over my head when I first got the news that my sister had passed away um, by suicide. I remember like I blacked out. Type of, I mean, I was awake. I had just came out of surgery and I got the news probably the next day or two or something like that. And I, I really literally felt like I got hit over my head. 
getting that type of news. So that, I believe, yeah, you, you definitely could deal with that. And then dissonance or changes in vision. Some people feel like they're about to faint. I've seen that in movies. I don't think I've ever been about to, um, you know, stuff like that. I don't think I've ever felt the dizziness like I was about to, um, you know. Uh, so I don't know. Has anyone experienced, like, effects from their trauma? Um, and if you have, would you like to share and just kind of explain to us a little bit about how, you know, maybe something you went through that could have led you to feel the effects of trauma um, and how you felt, you know? Headaches. I get headaches. Mhm. 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 Yes, just have to take it in. Thank you. Um, For me, um, as far as the question that just was asked, um, feigning um, heightened levels of hormones, heightened levels of sex drive, heightened levels of, um, what do you call it, Uh, moments where I don't know if I'm coming or going. And... um, I've felt the numbness before. Um, yeah. I'm, like, learning myself all over again, and I realize there's some spaces where my inner child is um, is going through healing, but it doesn't feel freaking good. So, yeah, that's my real. Thank you. Yeah, healing is very uncomfortable, and... Um, you know, like I said earlier, sometimes you just got to throw yourself on the floor like a baby and just cry. Forget everybody, <laughs> you know, and just literally have a good old cry and just release. Because when you start working on your healing, the level of accountability that you have to take on, sometimes you're like, whoa. Uh, it definitely um, can be a lot. Um, thank you for sharing that, Ms. Kenya. Seriously, um and one of the things you said is high end. Yeah, thank you. One one of the things you said is it could be you know even high end sex, high end. Um, and I wish I had this other lady on here because she she really does share that area because sometimes we feel like what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me? But guess what? If you've been through abuse, whether it's emotional, physical, or any type of sexual or any type of trauma. Sometimes you just go into areas where you over, you just go in. Like I said, me, sometimes I'd be like, yo, I overeat. I went through, I went through the sex part now. That was, you know, a little bit back in the days for me um, because now I'm married. So, I mean, you're right. It's a little different, but I, I went through it. So I went through different, different stages. Uh, but, you know, right now, um, one of the things is for me is I may eat. Right, and then I know people who they go through it and they don't eat. They go through it, they don't have sex. They go through it, they go in into the sex. They go through it, they go. So everybody just has different coping mechanisms. 
Some people are going to drugs. Some people are going to alcohol. Some people are going to fighting with people, arguing with people. I think it's a beautiful thing when you decide to say, I'm going to work on my healing. I looked at my phone. It was all one. You can't make that up. It was one hour, 11 minutes, and 11 seconds. I wish I would have got that screenshot. But all right. (laughs) You know, uh, but it's a beautiful thing um, when you decide to take this, that, that accountability for yourself and commit to yourself. Say, hey, look, I'm ready to be a better me for me. Um, so I'm going to go into um, just some of the things you may experience after trauma. I know today, you know, may, I hope this, this topic is, is, is speaking to somebody. Um, because there's a lot of other topics you can talk about in the area of mental health, but um, I hope that this is healing for somebody tonight. So some of the friends we might have, yes, please do. We would love to hear from you. Yes. This is Kenya again. Um, For me personally, um, just kind of a backdrop, um, I have gone through the grief, still going through the grief, my husband passed in 2020 on Valentine's Day, and my father passed soon after in October 2020, neither of which was pandemic-related, um, and I was with my husband for 21 years. Um, so, and I'm also in my 40s. Like, I'm, I'll be 49 next month, and sometimes, like, that heightened drive or whatnot, I'd be like, is this the hormonal? Is the change about to come? Or is this just me, like, missing my man? Um, I feel like it's a combination of both. Um, But as I am embracing myself, I've learned, I'm learning the power of being gentle with myself um, and the power of forgiving myself, Mm -hmm. even when I fall short of what I perceive to be not good or not a of um, right decision making in the moment. Um, I do. I am going through a healing journey right now. Um, so a lot of the things that were shared from whether yourself or other persons who are on this um, platform, it spoke. To, it's speaking to me, and it has spoken to me. Um, and that's why I was quiet at first, just taking everything in because I've been through a lot of different dynamics. So not only am I in those spaces, but I'm also a widow and I also have a child that I'm raising, um, a daughter from our union, We neither of which of us had any additional kids. Um, and she's going through her pre, about to be preteen phase. So I'm just like, okay, what's happening here? Um, but I'm embracing the journey of healing. And when I say that, I holistically mean that, um, and healing means different things to different people. For me personally, what that means is not only my psychiatrist, not only my therapist, not only do I have, like, a team of probably, like, eight people who are holding my hand in this process, including one of my spiritual sisters who's been knowing me since the onset of me experiencing a mental health diagnosis, um, bipolar one and transparency, um, is simply time. And different strokes, different folks, but for me, it's, for me, it means leaning into the pain. For me, it means being honest with myself uh, before I can even be honest with anyone else. For me, it means accepting the good, bad, and not so 
positive traits about myself and loving me anyhow, despite, or learning how to love me despite. Um, And as the year has already transitioned and we're in day three, I think my response is already shifting because, like, as the year has shifted, so has the way I approach things because literally as the year has shifted, um, not only has there been no hot water in the house because the um, everything had broken, meaning it was a it was flooded downstairs. So it was like, okay, how are we supposed to take a bath again? Uh, yeah, uh, or shower. And then it was the um, it was bad. And then it was like my car went out two point two three times within the last two point five weeks. Um, and I share that not from a woe is me, but I share that from the standpoint that my response was so different. I didn't react. I was just like, okay, it is what it is. But, um, yeah, we're going to have to figure this out differently. <laughs> so I didn't trip out. I wasn't like, woe is me. I wasn't like, I need some money. I was just like, all right, this is totally out of my control. I pay rent, and what I'm not going to do is give what I don't have beyond that space. Uh So I've been setting better boundaries and learning where I am in this new space and season beyond 2024, but just this new season in my life. And I'm learning. I can't say I'm there. I'm learning how to love me in this new space and being open to making mistakes, however they show up. That's it. I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Mr. Kenya, because let me tell you something. I love how you said you're learning to be gentle with yourself in your healing, you know, and being honest with yourself. Like we talked about, okay, look, in certain spaces, we'll be able to talk about like, hey, look, look, I'm dealing with this, my hormones, I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with that. And it's a safe enough space to be able to say that and know you're not going to be judged because we've been there and or we can relate uh, and have been there. And so it's just part of the body, I mean, you're a human being, the body, the hormones change, things happen, and you're still here. And so you're still going to have feelings and emotions, and it's normal. Uh, different people deal with menopause and or hormonal changes, midlife crisis, midlife, different things differently. And so that's very, very normal. Um, I like how you said that, you know, you're learning how to love yourself again. And then take that time. I've been kind of taking some quiet time for myself. I think that, you know, because I do a lot of volunteer work, sometimes I'm, I'm a little exhausted. And so I just, I'm okay with just being in my room by myself, just resting my mind and my body. I don't have to speak all the time because I speak a lot. I'm speaking right now. Okay. So sometimes I've learned to say, I don't want to talk. I love you. I don't want to talk. It's not you. It's just I need a rest and and not feeling guilty to say that. I wanted to say something. You were talking about, you know, you were dealing with uh, with the flooding and other personal things, and, you know, I shared, um, I don't know if any, but whoever has seen it, but my house pretty much almost caught on fire. Me and my family were home. I was cooking, fell asleep. My, I woke up, couldn't even see. So I was grateful to even be here right on today. But um, a lot of times when you're dealing with, like, emergency situations, you go on numb mode. And that's one of the things that, like, I always say, uh, one of my friends, she's not online right now, but whenever I go through, like, some craziness, sometimes I'm like, girl, I'm on numb mode. 
but I have to go ask him to smoke that most on here. Sometimes I just go on that mode. And that's how I survive. I have to. Other than that, I'll be a wreck crazy mess. But when I go on that mode, I just do what I got to do. You, when you're on that mode, you just, you, it's just go time. There's no time to sit there and go, like you said, woe is me. But guess what? Sometimes I sit down. I've had times by myself or myself where I feel bad for myself because somebody else is telling me what they're going through. I feel bad for them, and I say, why? I'm sorry you're going through that. Why you can't do that for yourself? Especially if you don't have a lot of people you talk to and tell what you're going through. Why you can't take a moment to love on yourself and say, I took myself to Starbucks and said, I take myself. I went to, I, 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 for me, it's escapism. I went to Starbucks. I took myself to see color purple with some of my sister friends. They had no idea what Ooh. was going on, but it just felt good not talking and just being in the moment. And just yeah. pass me another glass of wine, please. Uh, yeah, it just there felt good go. being in the moment. <laughs> or dancing and this or escaping through music, you know, yes. and just I love when the year transitioned, literally. I wasn't caught up in like, oh, I gotta tell everybody Happy New Year's or anything. I was, I wasn't like I want to be at the club. But on the other end, I wasn't feeling like being mm-hmm. at church either. So for me, mm-hmm. I was, I was content being with myself. <laughs> I was just in my mm-hmm. space chilling, home. and yeah, me too. I was, I, I was home, to. and I, I allowed myself that space to be and to connect with my higher power God and just be in that moment and literally as the hour switched the first person I spoke to was my daughter and for me that was enough and that's okay and we don't have and to I, feel I'm unapologetic to I was just that. like for me it worked <laughs> I feel I felt good no yeah. regret yeah and and that's the thing like sometimes it's okay to be quiet like you I know a lot of us do a lot of talking. A lot of us do a lot of talking. A lot of us do a lot of encouraging. A lot of us do a lot of supporting. And a lot of us do a lot of pouring. Not just pouring into strangers, but we pour into our children. We pour into our home. We pour, you know, some some may pour into spouses. Some may pour into uh, friendships with female friendships, you know, best friendships or whatever ships. Uh, some people may serve at church. Some people may serve at the uh, – we're givers, and we have a beautiful heart, and nobody can take that away from us. But before you can pour and pour and pour, because you can pour out. And, like, we hear people say it all the time. You cannot pour from an empty cup. You have to put yourself first and pour into your own cup. And I did that for New Year's. I stayed home in my house. And I was okay with that, and I poured into myself. And I, I, you know, it was nothing personal. I love everybody. I love everybody. But I had to love on me. So I'm going to open up um, the floor if anybody would like to join and make a comment or say anything in regards to what we're talking about, you know, learning to be gentle with yourself or some trauma, something you've been through or anything. That's your spirit. Please 
Okay, y'all. All right, all right. Okay. So we have like 21 minutes. So I'm just going to share a little um, something here that, you know, it's just really just talk about like some of the experiences that you may have after trauma. Um, I'll tell you something. Some people may deal with some flashbacks. Okay. Uh, that's common. You know, you deal with flashbacks. You might be reminded by taste. You might be reminded by sound. You might be reminded by physical sensation, you know, uh, in your body. Uh, and those things bring back flashbacks. And so that's why we have to be careful sometimes what we say, what we do. That's uh, You know, different people are going through different parts in, in, their, um, in their healing. Some people may be dealing with um, panic attacks. And, you know, it's important to really understand that, you know, everybody's in a different place in their healing, you know. Um, <clears throat> you know, this might be like a scary response when you have a panic attack. I know Ms. Ms. Paula shared that earlier, like sharing in front of strangers or a group of people being the center of attention, having to share something personal while you're still even trying to figure yourself out can bring a lot of stress on the body to bring just those feelings of panic, um, and it's very stressful. So disassociation, that might be a way that your mind just copes with a lot of uh, some of that overwhelming stress. You know, you may feel numb. You may face out. You know, when you disassociate, you may disattach your body. <clears throat> and um, and just, just feel like it's just unreal. You just, I mean, and me, when I say I go on numb mode, sometimes I have to be disattached to go on numb mode, to survive. Like, all right, I got to do this, 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 this week. <laughs> Most of all, when I travel, I have to go on numb mode because I do like a crazy schedule when I travel for I get up sometimes at 4 a.m. Sometimes I get up at 2 a.m. And I go to the airport, I travel, and I have to be there. And I have to get up the next day at 4 a.m. or 2 a.m. Then I do clients. Then I leave the next morning at 5 a.m. So I have to be up at 3 a.m. So I have three days of just chaos schedule. But I'm used to it, so it doesn't bother me because I, I wake up at 3, 4 a.m., 2, 3, 4 a.m. Sometimes I'm up randomly. So if you text me, like, are you up? I might be up at those times. I may take a day nap or I may be crazy during the day, but at those hours, I'm up. Uh, and so, um, you know, so it works for me. Oh, interesting. Next on my list, uh, we have 17 minutes, so I'm going to open up in two, two minutes to see if anybody uh, wants to join in. Sleep problems. You might find it hard to fall asleep. You know, you may feel unsafe at night or have nightmares, night terrors, or you just have short sleeps where you go to sleep and then you wake up at 2, 3 a.m. That's something. My my husband says to me, you have the weirdest sleep pattern. He be sleep. I be up. I be up 2, 3 a.m. Like, doing research. Sometimes I'm like, all right, I can't wait. School, I'm at Georgia State, and my program starts again this new semester on the ninth, and I'm looking forward to it because I was used to going downstairs and doing homework when everybody was asleep. I'm like, all right, forget it. 
I'm going to utilize my time to do my homework. And uh, so being at home, scrolling through social media, I'm seeing things from the shade room and all this, where I'm like, Lord, help me. Get me off this social media. Give me some homework. Give me something else to do. Get me back on track. <laughs> you know, so sweet problems. Uh, self-neglect. You know, when we talked about eating disorders or low self-esteem, uh, feeling, you know, there's that heavy weight of trauma, feeling alone. So, like, nobody understands. Nobody Nobody's there to support us. Still alone as a single parent. I've done that. I've been there. I get it. It's not an easy thing. It's a hard thing. That's as a matter of fact, I wrote a book called My Costa Rican Hummingbird Sings in two thousand seventeen. One of my chapters is titled, um, or it talks about if it's not titled because I don't remember so I haven't opened the book in a while. Uh, the hardest job I've ever had to do was be a single parent. Out of every job I've ever had to do in my whole life, that was the hardest job. I don't care what nobody says. If you don't have kids, you won't understand. If you have a husband, you won't understand. If you're a single parent, you will understand. And I'm not saying or I'm not trying to take away from people who are working on their recovery and they don't have children and it's hard. No, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying add a child to that without support whether you're a single parent because you went through a divorce or you lost a spouse, you're single the hardest job. So there you go. All right, so self-neglect, uh, self-harm. Some people, they cut because they want to feel. Some people, they take their lives because they just had a feeling. A lot of people who, um, okay, so that's self-harm. We're just talking about just cutting them or harming themselves. And then, uh, or sabotaging themselves. You can sabotage yourself just be, and do self-harm. Uh, by ruining your name, being out here, acting crazy, just bugging out, drinking, partying, bouncing, truck, 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 drop, 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 them videos get released, you know, because, yeah, I know, it, it happens, okay? So there's different ways to self-harm and or sabotage yourself. Suicidal feelings, feel like, why am I here, man? God, why? You still got me here. That's a real emotion. That's a real feeling, and, um, Alcohol and substance abuse or misuse. I've dealt with that. You know, whenever you're, uh, when people are going through pain, it's easy to deal with, um, you know, self coconism. Uh, especially for people who may be like, nah, doc, I don't want to take pills or nah, doc, I, I want to get up. People find a different way to soothe, whether, you know, sometimes I make a little joke and call it a pacifier for people that smoke cigarettes or people that vape or people that, you know, smoke weed or people that, and I went through that. I went through the vape and weed. Um, I had a very traumatic situation, so I quit um, two, three years ago. Okay, I went through a real traumatic situation where I don't know what was in the oil, but it wasn't what, what I thought it was, and I went through a, like a few weeks of just acting a complete clown fool, and so, therefore, it didn't work for me. Now, we're not supposed to talk about medications on this um, on our station, so I'm not going to talk about it as a medication, but I did use it as a coping mechanism. Anything that you abuse, I'm not saying some people smoke weed, and the weed, it works great, because in Boston, and I guess in Georgia, it's legal too, but in Boston, it's definitely legal. You're going there with HIV. But you have to be careful where you're getting uh, your your holistic treatments from because I'm going to tell you something. There's, um, you know, I've taken programs where I'm studying about fentanyl, 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 fentanyl. 
and different forms of um, drugs that are out here in the streets that you don't even know about that are being mixed into natural holistic. So I'm going to open up the mic because we have 12 minutes left. Um, I don't know if anybody wants to make a comment. You don't want to, you don't have to. But I would love to hear from you. May I share the mic's something? Open. Yes, ma'am. I can't tell if am I on? You're on. Okay. Um, thank you. Um, for me, I'm transitioning um with meds and holistic support. Um, as it ties into that without going too deep, um I do have a person everybody on the team um who's walking with me practices eastern as well as western and um, it's a dynamic team of persons who are not only listening to me, but I'm also open to suggestions and how to motion forward. I'm working my own pace, but the beautiful thing is I'm a firm believer that things only work when you can trust, you feel safe, and are open to the process and open to, in all honesty and transparency, the pain that may come with the process. Um and, and and applying what's already work, working. Um, so for me, mm-hmm. uh, applying the coping skills that already work for me, but being open to new tools that can ap- help me to apply better habits in other areas. Um, and reading um, so that I can be alert and not just mm-hmm. be like, yes, with everything. Reading for myself so I can know what my questions are when I come to the table. Um and yeah, what I have um, for me, what that looks like is I have a person who's a pharmacist who used to be pharmacist mm-hmm. for um, a recent state uh, for the entire state, but she also practices Eastern and Western. And I've mm-hmm. been knowing her for years. And everybody on my team, I've been knowing for enough time to feel safe. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a de- two dear friends. I have a peer who's also a certified peer specialist. Um, Mm-hmm. I have my therapist, of course, and my psychi- uh, psychiatrist, um, my mother, which said a lot because for years she was like, what? But she, something felt different this time. Um, and I have a person who's been, who I worked with from a ministerial standpoint, but also she does, does a lot of stuff in the retreat space. Um, and she helps me with breath work as well as mindfulness activities that are not cookie cutter, but more so that apply to my lifestyle and well-being or could be adopted into my lifestyle and well-being, even if I haven't been exposed to them yet. So meeting me where I'm at, but allow me to grow to where I need to. Mm, That was good. That was good. And thank you for sharing. You know, like I said, you know, everybody's recovery looks different. Um, at one point, I'm going to say this, at one point the, the cannabis therapy was working great for me in Boston for years. Uh, it was working great. I was under working with a doctor. Um, it, it, it worked great. But then when I came to Georgia, it was illegal. So I don't know, you know, you don't know what, you have to be just careful. Okay, when you're getting medication treatments and this and the next. Because if you're not getting it from the right source, it could be very detrimental. And that's where, um, like I said, some people are dealing with the fentanyl overdose and all these craziness. Because why? Because if, if we don't create these safe spaces where people can talk about it, like, look, look, I tried this, I tried this, I tried that, those things don't work. 
I'm open to trying this. Um, but guess what? Now that we've made it a safer space in Georgia and certain things have been legalized, um, we've opened up conversations that people were scared to have because they were scared of the legalities and, and that sort of thing. My best experience was in Boston when I was doing my treatment versus in Georgia. And, again, that's, uh, that comes from the fact that we were not able to have this conversation. So from my trauma, from experiencing things in Georgia because there was not that type of support, pivot a different type of way, but, but the pivoting was difficult because I went back to drinking. It was a lot. It was, my pivoting looked very different. Uh, and so, you know, we don't judge people, not in this space, not in this space because you get muted, blocked, deleted, and everything else. But, um, you know, we want to make sure that we, we have these conversations to um, protect people and to save lives, you know, especially as related to suicide prevention, which is one of the things that I'm a big advocate on, um, and just let people know that they're not alone. So I want to open up the mic one more time, and we can open up um, in a few minutes. Uh, if, if you're not available, but I want to know if anybody else would like to join the conversation or if you want to make a comment again, it's okay. If you don't have nothing to say, it's okay as well. Okay. Hi. Oh. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Okay. Hi, I want to say my name is Monique, and um, I just want to thank Hey, I um, thank you so much for sharing this space with us, uh, Dr. Nancy. Um, it's a privilege to, you know, be on the airways. And thank you all for sharing uh, your stories. I've been here um, tending to my just turned four-year-old, but I've been listening um, and um, wanted to make some comments that I just think it's wonderful that, you know, some, like, uh, the other lady spoke about um, her medication and what she's doing. And um, I just want to say I definitely agree um, that not everyone is, like, um, understanding to what it, to um, take a medication. And I just want to say anyone out there listening, if you feel that that is the route that you need to take, then that's the route you take. Don't listen to naysayers or um, people who are going to criticize or um, downplay it because there's so many struggles that we're dealing with silently. You know, these people, um, the critics or family members or whoever, they're not in your home. They're not in, you have to do what you need to do to be able to survive whatever it is that you're overcoming. And for me, um, these past few years have really been um, trying times where I can honestly say if I didn't have, you know, um, closeness with God and uh, connections with Dr. Nancy and um, my own medication that I, I don't think that, um, see my children, that I wouldn't be here um, today. And... Um, you know, I had friends who I really cared about and considered to be very close to me, and they were very judgmental um, and say things, and it just made it worse. You know, it's like 
as you say, you know, Dr. Nancy, you know, be kind and, you know, um, learn to forgive yourself and, you know, be easy because you never know what somebody's struggling with. You know, I, my struggles really turned bad after giving birth to my son um, four years ago. He just turned four on December 19th. So um, that was a a very traumatic experience for me. I um, nearly lost my life, basically did lose my life. Um, And by the grace of God, you know, I'm still here. I hemorrhaged and um, needed 22 blood transfusions to save my life and went to hemophilic shock and complete organ failure. Um, And, you know, my son was born early, so we had to stay at the NICU and just um, I had a C-section and an emergency hysterectomy. Um, So when you're enduring all those things and then, you know, my son, you know, had his medical issues and, you know, then you have the um, postpartum, (laughs) depression and it was just a lot um you know for me um to overcome that and I and I really believe that medication or any way that you find that's going to help do it and don't don't let people take that from you because it was like I was I was on the brink of tear tottering and it was the first time I, I I truly understood how people you know um think about committing suicide or could commit suicide and and it's not because they want to die. That's not the reason. I finally understood that it's not that they want to die, but they just want the pain to stop. And there's a difference. And, you know, obviously it was my children that made me think of, um, I don't want to leave them. I don't want them to be alone. I don't want them to, to feel what I feel, you know, um, growing up in this in this world alone, you know. And that's what really kept me pushing kept me fighting, I call it the demons, but the, the, the depression of not wanting to get out of my bed, not wanting to um, not wanting to live. And here I am, a mom. I got a, a, a 16-year-old and now a 4-year-old, and they, they needed me. They needed me, and all, they, they were all I had, and I was all they had. And I, I would honestly say that do whatever you need to do to survive. Reach out. And you don't have to endure that alone because I, w- I was enduring a lot of things alone um, because of the amount of loss of blood. I was also, um, I'm doing much better now, but was diagnosed with um, post-traumatic brain injury. And that's something that I didn't share with anyone. That's something that I was ashamed to share. Um, you know, here I am just, a year previous, graduated my master's degree in public administration and public policy and had energy to do everything and was a part of everything and I could go and come and I was just so energetic and, and full of life and, and it was like I had to readjust to this new life of um, of trying to be okay and this new life of not feeling well. I'm still not 100%. I don't think I will ever be 100% as far as how I feel because I lost so much blood. But I am thankful um, that I am doing much better. And I just, you know, anyone out there who is just struggling, and um, I'm now getting through this healing, you know, process, still healing, you know, because also at the time that I endured all, you know, just having the baby, you know, I'm struggling to 
take care of my son. He had to endure several surgeries. And then my man that I love very much um, was uh, cheating on me. And that kind of stabbed me again, you know. So it was, it was, it was, it was very, very hard. It was very, very hard. Um, so I just wanted to share that to um, however you need to seek to make you better, do that and, and reach out. And I spent a long time dealing with my medical and my, my physical health and mental health in silence because of the shame that I felt and the guilt that I felt. Um, the shame that I once again picked <laughs> the wrong partner um, and how could I do this to myself again after uh, climbing out of the depths of despair with my, my oldest daughter. You know, how could I be, how am I here again, you know? And not feeling physically well to do anything. A lot of people would, you know, because they, you know, they're not knowing that I'm, I'm dealing with medically. You know, I don't know if anybody's ever lost a lot of blood, but I was completely depleted of all of my um, white blood cells and iron. And, and then the post-traumatic brain injury, I was always tired, and people would say, you know, you're lazy or, you know, and that was just adding on to it. So I didn't share and um, with most people. And um, thank God for these types of spaces, and, and, and thank God for you, Dr. Nancy, and God, um, because of what, that's, what really, that's what really helped me. And still helping me because I'm still learning how to forgive myself and not to feel guilt and shame and about, you know, just everything. That I was once way up top of this top mountain, untouchable on top of the world, feeling great and, you know, just completed my master's. And now I feel like I, you know, was knocked off and um, trying to figure out how to survive again, you know, trying to refigure out how to uh adapt to this new life and um, being a single mom again. So thank you so much for listening and um, for this space. And you're welcome. And I thank God for your ministry because of what you went through. God was able to birth your ministry. And when you're doing your coaching and we're working on your niche and the people you're here to serve, and to help God through this healing journey, this is what it's all about. It just sucks. I, the journey, sometimes like, man, why did I go through this? Like I said, when I threw my stuff in my belly and started kicking my feet like a baby and crying. But God's going to get the glory. He's going to get the glory for your story because what you went through is going to help somebody else hang on and survive and know that they're not alone. I want to say thank you. Thank you, Monique, for sharing your testimony. I know everybody in the room, okay? I know Philip's testimony, not all. I don't know everybody's everything. I don't know the power of the testimonies in the room. Philip's testimony powerful. I've had one-on-ones with Philip outside of this space. Kenya, powerful. I've had one-on-one testimonies outside of this space. Paula, I've had one-on-one testimonies out of this space. And Monique, powerful. I've had one-on-one testimonies out of this space. Uh, hopefully you guys will like, I'm going to share the link tomorrow to this interview, and hopefully you guys will like it and follow each other. 
because I know that uh, whatever God's doing is not by accident. Um, it's not an accident. And now our time is up, but I do I did just want to shout each of you all out. I don't know if that's going to be in the recording because our time is up. But I do want to say, uh, you know, Philip, thank you for joining us, Kenya. Thank you for joining us, Paula. Thank you for joining us, Monique. Thank you for joining us, uh, 22 blood transfusions. <laughs> but God, losing a spouse, but God, adoption, but God, uh, family abuse and being attacked by a dog or, you know, being dragged, but God. So uh, I just want to say thank you all for joining us tonight. I love you all. Uh, and God bless you all. And I'm just going to close out because I have to. I have no choice, but I love you all. And, and I'm on on Wednesday, so I hope to have you guys back on whenever you're available. And so I'm going to let you all say good night, and then we'll close out. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night, all. Good night. Good night. I'm not tomorrow, because that's gone away.